Hey there, everyone. Welcome to the Ready for the Draft podcast. I am your host, Greg Schutz. This is episode five of the 2021 podcast series, breaking down the draft eligible prospects and getting you ready for the NFL draft set to begin in April 2021, week four of the college football season now in the books, which means SEC play has begun. There's plenty to get to there. A lot of players that I was keeping my eye on this past weekend. And now we're into October, which means in just three short weeks, the Big Ten will start play. I'm excited about that. But look, it's not just the Big Ten now. Mountain West has also come out and said, you know what? October 24th, we're hitting the field as well. Pac-12 hitting the field November 6th. The MAC has said, you know what? We're joining them in November uh, you know, November 4th. I think what's really going to be the challenge is the college football playoff committee has to decide what what the criteria is going to be for a team that's played a full season, you know, 10-game season versus, say, the Pac-12 with their six-game season plus a, a seventh game that's really going to kind of be, I think they'll take the first place teams from each each division, plays each other, second places, third, fourth, and on down. And then I think the MAC, they're playing a six-game season with a championship in December. It's really going to make make it for for interesting conversation, if nothing else. But I think there are going to be a lot of debates in terms of you know what uh, you know who passes the eye test. What does it really look like? You know, is the pack does a Pac-12 team even have a chance at uh, the college football playoff at this point? I think you really have to come out the gate. If you're Oregon or USC, you really have to look dominant in each and every game in which you play. And I think there's really no margin for error there at all with any of those programs. So we're going to take a look at the Pac-12 conference specifically. We took a look at the SEC. And prior to that, we took a look at the Big Ten conference. So last week it was the SEC. And uh, in honor of the fact that, hey, the Pac-12 is going to be kicking off in November, we're going to take a look at some of the draft-eligible prospects in Pac-12 play that you're going to need to keep an eye on for the NFL draft. And in honor of the Mountain West and the MAC, we'll actually take a look at some of the players, you know, the, some lesser known guys as well. You know, you're, you, when you're talking about group of five players, maybe some guys that'll fly under the radar, guys that you really need to keep an eye on, especially in those day two and ta- day three guys um, that'll make an NFL roster. We'll be doing that next week. But what we really need to do is jump into week four play. You know, we, we have a lot of SEC games, a lot of guys that I was able to get out there and, and, and watch as much game film as I could. And I think the, the big game to really watch was, was Florida and Ole Miss. You know, you, you've got Kyle Trask. What is he going to do against the Lane Kiffin-led Ole Miss Rebels? In Oxford, Lane train, you know, full steam ahead. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you, Florida ends up winning 51-35. And if your name was Kyle... In a Florida Gator uniform, you had a huge day. Kyle Trask, in my opinion, the 6'5", 240-pound senior quarterback, solidified himself as the number four quarterback behind Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, and Justin Fields. And, and let me tell you why. You know, th- this guy, all he did was, you know, 30 of, of 42, over 400 yards, six touchdowns. And the, the dominant performance, this was a guy who... You know, showed off his arm strength, has you know the arm talent to make all of the NFL throws. 
you know, this was a guy also with the ball placement. You know, he was throwing his receivers open, putting the ball where only his receiver can make a play on the football, the outbreaking routes, throwing the ball to the outside, uh, you know, just tremendous poise in the pocket. You saw the, the pocket manipulation, his ability to step up when he needed to, rolling out, some subtle movements, resetting his feet and firing a strike. You know, a lot of quarterbacks at the collegiate level, when they get outside the pocket, they're going to try to throw on the run. And a lot of times the mechanics go by the wayside. This is a guy who, when he was moved off his mark, he would reset his feet and deliver a strike down the field. Kyle Trask, to me, solidified his status as, as a top five quarterback in this year's draft. And look, this was a guy who came into the season as the starter, the first time in his career since his freshman year of high school. So, you know, just really tremendous story with, with Kyle Trask. And I mentioned the Kyles. Kyle Pitts, man, 6'6", 240-pound tight end, lining up all over the field, eight receptions, um, you know, for, for over 100 yards and four touchdowns. So six, you know, four of the six touchdowns that, that Kyle Trask threw went to Kyle Pitts. And, and the, mat, the matchups, you know, it, this guy was just a mismatch. You know, everywhere he lined up, you know, whether you wanted to split him out wide, you put him in the slot. He was trying to be more of an inline guy. And I thought what was interesting, they talked about it on the broadcast. He didn't qualify for the John Mackey Award because he didn't play enough at tight end. There was too many you know times where he split out as a receiver and he didn't qualify. Kyle Pitts, you know, and, and I'll tell you that the blocking, the inline blocking, you know, left a, a lot to be desired. You know, I, I think he, he showed some effort. You know, he did his best with that, but that's not really what he's known for. He's more of your Evan Ingram type, a guy that's going to get down the field in a hurry, uh, so strong uh, against the corners and so fast, you know, for the, for the linebackers to try to keep up. Kyle Pitts is going to have a monster year, and it's really going to be interesting to see you know, Brevin, he and Brevin Jordan have kind of separated themselves from the rest of the tight end group. I really want to see in Big Ten play what Pat Fryermuth is going to look like. I thought he de developed some chemistry with Sean Clifford. So it's going to be interesting to see you have three tight ends who could potentially be first-round picks. Now, just a few years ago, you had O.J. Howard, David Njoku, and Evan Engram enter the draft uh, in the first round. And I'm looking at this group, and this group could be just as good, if not better, than that group. I think you've got some athleticism. Uh, Kyle Pitts, again, you know, was he was the focal point of that offense. He was the guy that when Kyle Trask needed a big play, that's who he was looking for. And, and just the size, the length, you know, his ability to extend for the football, his ability to come back to the ball as well. I thought that was really critical. And uh, you know, Kyle Pitts, look, man, you know, he, he's I think he solidified his stock and status as a as a uh, as a first round tight end. Is he gonna go high enough, you know, or early enough in the first round? Probably not, you know, until he can really hone in on that on that blocking. We're gonna talk about Brevin Jordan in a minute. I, I thought Brevin Jordan looked really solid as a blocker. Um, and I think that's where he may have the edge over Kyle Pitts. So like I said, it's, it's gonna be interesting. It's still early on in the SEC play, obviously, but uh, great start for the Kyles, both Trask and Pitts. Uh, Ventrell Miller on the defensive side of the football, the 6'1", 230-pound junior linebacker. He shed 15 pounds, and you could really tell a difference. More, Much more explosive, showed off better range, being able to, to fly around to the football, had 15 tackles in the game. But this was someone who, you know, because he was flying around, you know, he, he struggled with breaking down in space, um, you know, over-pursued a couple of times, wasn't able to wrap up, kind of diving at, at players' legs a little bit. You know, I think he needs to play under a little bit more control, but 51 uh, 
Um, really good start to his season. Jerrion Easley, look, man, this dude is so explosive. The 5'8", 190-pound sophomore. Uh, not going to be eligible for the draft because he, he's only two years out of high school, but 16 carries, 79 yards, and a touchdown in Lane Kiffin's offense. And, and he's just so explosive. You know, he's so much fun to watch, patient to let his block set up, uh, just, you know, the speed to the corner, and just so difficult to bring down the lateral agility. I think Ely's really a lot of fun to watch and someone to really be on the lookout for in uh, next year's draft. Uh, Trevon Grimes, the 6'4", 218-pound receiver, mismatch out on the outside. Uh, There's a 22-yard touchdown, really boxed out his man on, on kind of a back shoulder type throw towards the pylon and uh, kept the cornerback on his back. That was an excellent throw by Kyle Trask as he was throwing from, from the left hash to the right sideline and uh, put the ball, again, away from the corner, didn't throw it to the inside where the corner can make a play, put it to the outside, allowing Grimes to make a play. And I, I must also speak about a, a play that uh, Kyle Pitts made. Um, you know, another throw, this time it was going from the, the right hash to the left sideline and uh, put the ball out in front of uh, Kyle Pitts and it was another back shoulder throw and Kyle Pitts with the long he's so long I mean he's 6'6 these long arms his ability the catch radius was ridiculous because he was able to spin back to, to the outside because he was out, you know on the inside spun back to the out to the outside and extended for the football ultimately able to turn into the into the end zone and uh, even though he was double covered uh, because of his ability to make that adjustment to the ball and a perfectly thrown pass by Kyle Tra- Kyle Trask, you know they were able to beat that double team. Uh, you know Kenny Yaboa, I talked about him last week. Uh, you know this was a kid, five receptions, 94. I'm sorry, 96 yards and a touchdown. The transfer from Temple. I think you know the tight ends in Lane Kiffin's offense. He loves to throw to the tight ends. You saw Harrison Bryant a season ago ended up being the Mackey Award winner with with all of the the catches um, over a thousand yards. Uh, Kenny Yaboa is a guy who I you know he's not going to put up those type of numbers. He won't go over a thousand yards, but he's going to have a pretty decent season in, in my opinion. Uh, Brenton Cox, the Georgia transfer there for Florida, uh, 6'3", 250 pounds, very versatile. A guy that was able to pursue the the, the running back, especially. You know, uh, chasing him down from the backside, good pursuit to the near side, beating him, you know, taking a good angle, beating him to the sideline as well. Um, you know, there was a play where he slipped, took a knee, was able to get back up, le- uh, leaped up into the air and, and got a tip on the ball, interception by by one of his teammates. Um, and, and that was, um, uh, let's see, it, it was Javon Dexter, the, the talented freshman. And play before that, uh, got a tackle for loss on the running back as well. Very versatile. And uh, he's a guy, look, he's 6'3", 250, probably going to be an outside linebacker in a 34 defense. Maybe he'll put a, his hand in the dirt um, you know, on, on certain, certain downs. But uh, definitely an explosive playmaker there. And then Elijah Moore, the 5'9", 185-pound junior receiver there for Ole Miss. Fifth in the SEC a season ago in, in uh, receptions per game. This was a dude that was just attacking the middle of the field, uh, able to get open, ran some really good routes, uh, 10 catches, 227 yards. He's a guy, look, he's only a junior. He can come back. Uh, really, any of the guys can come back because the uh, eligibility has kind of been a, a freeze right now. You can come back if you want to. But Elijah Moore, if he continues, and that's the thing, Lane Kiffin, if he, he finds a receiver that is going to be his go-to guy, you know, Elijah Moore could be you know uh, on pace for a huge season. And if he does that, you know there may be enough hype around him where he decides he's going to go ahead and enter the draft. 
Um, you know, I think when we you know, move on to the to the next SEC game, you know, really it was a wild one there in the Bayou. LSU, Mississippi State, the you know the Bulldogs in the Mike Leach era, 44-34 winners. KJ Costello, holy cow. 36 of 60 for 623 yards, five touchdowns, and two interceptions. Also had two fumbles lost, but uh, you know Costello, man, that 623 yards, the 11th most passing yards in FBS history, and he did that against the defending champs. Think about that. Yes, I know Dave Aranda is no longer coaching the defense. Bo Pelini really struggled, didn't really get out of uh, the man-to-man. You know, he also didn't have uh, Derek Stingley. Uh, the corner who got sick, non-COVID related illness, but you know that, that's still, uh, you know, he, he wasn't able to, to be out there to cover a guy like Osiris Mitchell, who had a huge game, seven receptions, over 180 yards, uh, you know, and a couple of touchdowns. And, and Costello, to me, I, I think he solidified himself in, in that conversation for that number five quarterback. I wasn't ready to, to really anoint KJ Costello yet because look, he was coming off of an injury ultimately transferred to Mississippi State. You know, I think Mike Leach, uh, you know, he, he was very familiar with the offense. They said that he, when he showed up in June, he was running a lot of the offenses because he knew the offense, you know, better than, than most. And, uh, you know, Costello, it really showed the poise in the pocket, his ability to stand tall, take the hits when needed. Um, you know, it, he has a weird, funky delivery. And, and it's one of those things that, you know, a little bit of a long delivery, you know, it looks like he shot puts it at times. Um, but the thing is, is he makes the throws down the field. It's not just the dink and dunk. You saw a lot of a lot of crossing routes. And that's one of the things that you, know, you saw with him though was even on those crossers he was throwing the receivers open able to hit the guys in stride allow them to cut up the field and make plays after the catch that was a big thing for osiris mitchell was you know that 6'5 210 pound senior if you can hit him in stride he's able to take off and make some plays with the football after the catch but if you're making him stop and start you know, that's not really that's not in his wheelhouse he's not the elusive uh, elusive receiver so being able to do that take advantage of, of your strengths of your receivers he was absolutely able to do that piece um, and, and you know just like I said the, the confidence in, in that offense he's still learning the offense you know there were a lot of issues with uh, with the snaps you know he, he did throw a pick six threw the ball right there to to Jabril Cox uh, who made a phenomenal play and uh, on the football undercut the route easy pick six um, you know there are the one of the the fumbles hit him in the chest, and you know when he wasn't even ready, really had a, had some troubles there with with the center Cole Smith, um, and then the other interception, you know it was it was a bad ball, and uh, you know really half of LSU's points were off of turnovers by the quarterback. So he's got to cut down on those mistakes if he's going to go in there and play the likes of Alabama um, or potentially a Florida. Uh, KJ Costello is really going to have to tighten up some of those mistakes, really, you know, the decision making at times. But um, I'll tell you what, you know, when he needed to fit the ball into a tight window, he was able to do that. When he needed to throw the ball down the sideline, um, you know, with touch, he was able to do that. Put the ball over the linebacker in front of the safety, he was able to do that. Uh, KJ Costello um, proved himself to be uh, a quarterback that, you know, the, really the, the, you know, the, 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 not only the college football uh, landscape should be keeping an eye on, but I think the NFL scouts really should be taking notice of a of a guy who you know can be that mid round mid mid round quarterback. And, and you can see he was in, you know just dropped into Mike Leach's offense. He was able to understand it quickly, pick up on it, and you know this is the quarterback 
the best quarterback that Mike Leach has had. Yes, Mike Leach, you know, he had Tim Couch when he was at uh, at Kentucky, but I firmly believe KJ Costello is still the best quarterback that he's had. Um, you know, when he was coaching at, at Texas Tech, he had you know Cliff Kingsbury, uh, Graham Harrell, he's had Gardner Minshew, Anthony uh, Anthony Gordon as well. But uh, Costello, the best athlete, I thought that you know he's not the, the the fastest guy by any means, but you know I thought his ability to manipulate the pocket, you know I saw some eye discipline out of him as well uh, to hold the safety when needed, uh, go through some progressions. Uh, I think Costello is only going to continue to get better and better in this offense. And you know Mike Leach with a, a solid defense like that and, a, and his best quarterback I think he's ever had. But you know it, it's going to be a scary proposition for the SEC. Um, you know Kylan Hill. You know, this was a guy who, you know, a season ago, over 1,200 yards on the ground, um, you know, and I'm sorry, yeah, it was 13, 1,350 yards, which was third in the SEC, 10 touchdowns, which tied him for fifth in the SEC, and really, in this offense, he didn't have to carry the ball a whole lot. Just seven carries for 34 yards, but eight catches for 158 yards and a touchdown. You saw the athleticism, his ability to make plays in space, excellent hands. He was extending for the ball, uh, you know, able to look, you know, secure the football before getting upfield. But you know, he took a wheel wheel route, you know, took that for for a big play. Uh, Kylan Hill, we always knew that he could run the ball between the tackles. We knew that he had some some explosiveness to him as well. He showcased his ability to be a three-down back. He also showed his ability to block. I already knew that he was a decent blocker from a season ago, but I'll tell you what, Kylan Hill, uh, to me, he's he should be mentioned in, in that, that group of, of running backs at the top of the draft. I think he'll be a day two guy, but you know he, he's showing off his versatility and you know going from the run first offense from a season ago to this pass happy offense. I mean, the guy can do a little bit of everything um, now. Turning to LSU, Jabril Cox, 6'4", 231 senior. And this is a guy, you know, he transferred from North Dakota State and, you know, already had three pick sixes in his career. Got number four, and uh, it was a drag route. You know, Austin Williams, the the, the slot guy, coming in motion, picked him up, uh, ultimately undercut the route and was able to take it off to the end zone. Um, I think it was, a you know, a 19-yard uh, touchdown there. And, uh, you know, he ended the day with six tackles and a sack. Um, but the explosiveness, that's really the thing that you saw. His, he, the versatility, his ability to blitz off the edge, get to the quarterback uh, and be disruptive. His ability to fill the holes in a hurry to wrap up the running back. You know, that was one of the things that was so impressive was his ability to wrap up in space, wrap up in the hole. Uh, Jabril Cox, you know, it, he just falls into the, into the line of those linebackers. You know, D- Devin White, uh, Patrick Queen uh, are, have been the latest uh, linebackers. And, and I think Jabril Cox, you know, belongs in, in the conversation among those guys. And uh, he's somebody who I think is going to creep up draft boards now that people get to see him on a national stage in SEC play. A couple of other guys of, of, of mention, uh, Damone Clark liked his versatility, 6'3", 245. Uh, and then Jacoby Stevens, you know, he, he started the game at linebacker, moved back to safety, big hard hitter, 6'2", 230 pounds, number seven, you know, that's the number, you know, Grant Delpit and, uh, and Patrick Peterson and company. There's a reason why he's wearing that number seven and that versatility. I think there's going to be a team probably ends up taking him in round number, probably round either round two or three, and they'll be very happy with what they receive there. But uh, I'll give you a guy that... Um, put his name firmly in conversation or should have and that's Ollie Gay. Ollie Gay the the Garden City City College transfer 66 260 pound junior 
uh, three tackles on the day, uh, a sack, uh, three pass breakups. Uh, I'm sorry, no, three uh, quarterback hurries and, and a couple of tackles for loss. Um, no, they're worth right three pass breakups. I'll take that back. And the reason being is this guy's length, his ability to get his hands up, um, but he was just so disruptive coming off the edge. The burst, his hand usage there at the point of attack. Ollie Gay um, is a guy that, you know, they really needed to get a, a pass rusher coming off the edge, and I think Ollie Gay is going to be that guy there for LSU. Uh, you know, I thought Neil Farrell getting him back, uh, you know, was another nice addition there at defensive end. Um, you know, look, Braden Fajoko, he's on the practice squad there for, for the LA Chargers. I think Neil Farrell has a chance to do the same. And then Errol Thompson, another solid game out of him, six foot two fifty four. Uh, big number 40 there in the middle. He's the heart and soul of the Mississippi State defense. I thought he had a solid game as well there uh, for LSU. But the talk, obviously, K.J. Costello and the play that he had. I mean, you go in there against the defending champs and you do what he, what he did. Um, very, very impressive stuff. Now moving on to, from that to another impressive outing for Kansas State. Very under, under, uh, undermanned due to COVID-19. They go into Norman and they knock off the Oklahoma uh, Sooners, number three ranked Sooners, 38-35. And, you know, when I watch OU play, um, you know, they're, they're very young. You know, I, I think that's one of the things that you definitely see. Spencer Rattler, um, a special quarterback. I think when you watch him throw the football, you know, it's just different. Ball jumps off of his hands just differently. And, you know, he had a solid game, 30 of 41, 387 yards, four touchdowns, but he threw three picks. And really the biggest thing for Spencer Rattler was when he got pressured, he wanted to bail and get out of the pocket as quickly as possible. And, uh, you know, they, they kept running the same outbreaking routes and Kansas State ultimately, you know, they took advantage of that and they were jumping a lot of those routes there, thrown to the outside. The middle was wide open and, uh, you know, Spencer Rattler, you know, hang in the pocket, that offensive line. You know, I heard some of the, uh, you know, Oklahoma sportscasters and, and talk radio talking about this O-line possibly being one of the best there at OU and you know look they just a couple years removed from having a, a an offensive line that, that won the Joe Moore award for the best offensive line this O-line is nowhere close to that Creed Humphrey went down to an injury was back in the fourth quarter uh, but he was driven back you know off the ball you know it's one of those things to where you know Creed Humphrey did not have his best game and so I think he's going to have to really step up and, and showcase you know his his ability because look you know he's he's come in he's you know now he's the guy he's the guy that's got to lead the, this O line and I thought he did a really good job last year uh, this year he's got a, a true freshman now is playing a lot at left tackle uh, Creed Humphrey's going to have to have a huge year and look with Spencer Rattler he doesn't have a lot of weapons around him you know the you know the, the running back position depleted Trey Sermon's at you know in Ohio State Kennedy Brooks has decided to opt out you know due to COVID to prepare for the draft and uh, Ramondre Stevenson is still uh, suspended so they went to TJ Pledger who's more of a complimentary back shouldn't be the starter Seth McGowan the freshman asked to do a little bit more than you know you would really expect out of a freshman um, but I think he's ultimately going to be the focal point of the running game but at the receiver you know everyone's so high on Charleston Rambo the 6 175 pound junior had 17 starts to his belt uh, you know I think he is shifty in the open field uh, but I thought he looked better more as a complimentary receiver um, for uh, for CD Lamb and putting him in there he really wasn't a guy who flashed you know I, I thought the, the play more so was 
you know, I, I was more impressed with Marvin Mims, the freshman, there at, at the receiver position than, than Charleston Rambo. So I, I think, you know, this is going to be a team that, you know, is going to have to find some identity and find it quick because they're going in against Iowa State, who had a big game against TCU, came out with a win. We'll talk about that game here in a little bit. But just a couple of guys from K-State that I was impressed with. Um, you know, Jerome uh, McPherson, uh, the 6'1", 200-pound safety. I thought he was a guy who was flying all over uh, all over the place, coming downhill in a hurry, delivering a big hit on the slant to uh, you know, dis- dislodge the-, the football from the receiver. Uh, you know, he was a Butler City College transfer you know, from a season ago. Um, you know, a-, a guy who was just a heady player, making some smart plays out on the field, coming downhill, uh, making-, making plays in space, 11 tackles, uh, one going for loss, and had an interception at the end of the game. Uh, you know, ultimately the ball was thrown behind the receiver, sailed over uh, Drake Stoops' head uh, on an in route with 34 seconds to play. He ultimately sealed the win with that interception. Uh, Wyatt Huber, look, 6'5", 270, you know, 270-pound junior, the first team all uh, Big 12 performer a season ago. Um, has the speed off the ball, was, was dipping that inside shoulder, very tight turn getting around to the quarterback in a hurry, plays with his hair on fire. The problem is he's just so undisciplined. Had, had you know some some plays the week before where he was called for some penalties, had an encroachment play on a third and nine, which dropped to the third and four. OU wound up getting a first down off of that. Um, you know, he also had a blow to the head on the quarterback with a, a roughing the passer. Uh, ended up holding the, the H-back, Emmanuel Hall, uh, trying to release to get into the pattern. That holding play, that defensive holding, called back a sack by, by the K-State uh, defense. So Wyatt Huber, you know, it's one of those things to where maybe it's a maturity issue. You know, He, he may want to come back for one more year and really get things polished up a little bit because right now that's a huge red flag for me. You know, a guy that's playing so recklessly that, that he's costing the team uh, some big plays. Um, but you can't, you know, the athleticism is definitely impressive. That's one of the things that really jumps off the off the charts. And I, I want to see him come back for one more year there in Manhattan so that he can really solidify his status as one of the best, you know, pass rushers in the draft. Um, Syracuse took on, on Georgia Tech. Orange wound up beating the Yellow Jackets 37-20. to 20, But I thought it was it was worth mentioning uh, Andre Sisco, the, one of the top safeties in the draft, potentially a first-round pick. Uh, a guy who is known for making plays on the back end of that defense with all those interceptions. Uh, had a pregame collision with another player, was injured, limped off the field, didn't play in the game. You know, his, his status really at this point, Dino Babers was really kind of hush-hush, not really sure what happened there. Um, but really a coming out party, you know, in 2024 for Wanye Thomas. Everyone knew that the 6'3", 206-pound junior safety uh, was a playmaker, but he really hadn't gotten going uh, this season until this game. Had 10 tackles on the day. You know, he was a guy who was was coming downhill in a hurry, ran the alley, um, able to take really good angles to the football. Uh, I think Wanye Thompson really needed a game like this. Hopefully that'll really jumpstart his season. Um, and I think we'll go back to the Big 12 after this game. And, uh, you know, Texas, Texas Tech. This overtime game was wild. I think the Red Raiders, they, you know, under Matt Wells, they had this game. And they ultimately gave it away to Texas in overtime, 63-56. Uh, and, you know, this is, you know, I talk about Sam Ellinger. He's not going to be the prettiest quarterback. He's not going to be the guy that's going to throw the prettiest ball or, or have the, the best arm strength or anything like that. 
but he's just he's a gritty guy. You know, he's a gritty player. Uh, finished the game 27 of 40, 262 yards, uh, five touchdowns, and, and an interception. And you know, look, this was a guy. He started off the game really, really kind of shaky to, to get things going, but he finished strong. You know, really, he started the game nine to ten for 101 yards and a touchdown to, to really start the game in the first quarter. Sputtered in the middle of the game, and that's where Texas Tech went on their run. But when they needed him, when they needed him most, he came through. You know, 18-yard touchdown with 46 seconds to play. Put the ball over the linebacker to the receiver on a, on a switch route. Uh, you know, got vertical and, and was able to go ahead and drop it in. Um, and then on the two-point conversion, found you know Brennan Eagles uh, ultimately able to get that, uh, that, that two-point conversion to tie the game up. And uh, in overtime, ends up hitting... Joshua Moore on a slant for a touchdown. Um, knew that the safety was was inside there. Um, ultimately, uh, able to hit you know hit Joshua Moore for for that touchdown. And look, Sam Ellinger, you know he's he has some questionable decision making. Wants to sling the ball around a little bit. Um, you know, not always the best decision maker at all. Um, but when when the chips are you know chips are all, all the chips are on the table. He's the guy that you know just continues to find a way to win, and I think that says something about Sam Sam Ellinger. He may not be a starter at the next level, but he's one of those guys who you know he might be a backup that gets thrust into a situation, and you know he's proven that he can he can get out there and really shine uh, when the lights are, are brightest. Samuel Cosme, the offensive tackle, 6'7", 309, the junior. I've had him sitting there as my number two offensive tackle for a while. Um, very athletic. He moves very well. Um, you know, I think that's one of the things you know that you see right away is he's very, very easy mover. Um, you know, that that's one of the things that uh, is easy to see there. But the problem is, is he'll get too upright at times. He'll lose leverage. Um, Eli Howard a couple of times was able to shove him back into the quarterback. Um, you know, he was trying to square up the defensive end and get, you know, he gets flat-footed at times, and that ultimately gets him into trouble. Um, you know, he's a knee bender, and uh, you know, he needs to keep that keep that pad level down and not get so upright. When he's a knee bender and he's able to, to slide, uh, you know, and he showed, you know, the other thing that's really weird about him is his, uh, it was hand placement will get kind of sloppy at times, but his footwork also gets sloppy. You'll see him with the short, choppy steps, you know, and, and just a, a typewriter and able to, to mirror his defensive end in front of him on, on his kick slide. But then there are other plays where he has these really long strides. And when he does that, it's more susceptible to these speed rushers coming off the edge to where, you know what, my feet, you know, even his feet at times were almost you know, clicking together. That's a big no-no for an offensive tackle. And, uh, you know, you could lose your balance, you know, a lot of different things there. And so Samuel Cosme, definitely a raw offensive tackle. The athletic skills are definitely there. I think some of that technique can be fixed. And so that's why I still think number two tackle, but he's not as high, um, you know, as I'd say like a Panay Sewell, um, who's our, our number one offensive tackle. Um, I thought Joseph Osai had another solid game as well for Texas. Um, you know, had a couple of tackles and, and two pass breakups, um, but dipping under the left tackle, you know, getting under the pad level there, turning in a hurry, flattening out to the quarterback. He showed much more athleticism in this game. The hand usage, the dip in and rip. Um, he put his hand into the chest of the left tackle and then would rip through, flatten out to the quarterback. 
I saw much more athleticism out of uh, Joseph Osai in this game than I did in, in, in the previous game. And uh, the 6'4", 253-pound junior, um, you know, he, he it's going to be interesting to see where he plays. He's kind of that tweener. Is he going to be a defensive end? Is he going to be a linebacker? Um, I, I want to see him continue to drop into coverage. And that's really going to be the biggest thing is, is can he drop? Because he plays well against the run. He can rush the quarterback, but can he drop into coverage? That's really going to be the big, big question for Joseph Osai in terms of where he's going to end up playing uh, at the next level. Um, let's see. Uh, you know, Caden Stearns, you know, he, he's ultimately not the, the leader of this, this secondary. I think it's more so Josh Thompson, the, the junior corner, um, really showing showing his ability. Uh, you know, T.J. Vasher unable to separate against uh, against Josh Thompson. Uh, T.J. Vasher uh, really struggled at times to really make much of a difference there in that, in that game. But he still had four catches for 74 yards and a couple of touchdowns, um, but didn't really do a whole lot against Josh Thompson. Speaking of T.J. Vasher, uh, showed some some deep speed, uh, getting vertical, running by the the other corner. Uh, but the ball was overthrown on a play. Um, you know, there's a fingertip catch in the end zone. Uh, showed just some excellent uh, extension for the football and, and able to extend for the ball there. And then as he's going down to the ground, uses his left arm to kind of cushion the ball so that he wasn't, you know, it was going to be a solid catch that the ground wasn't going to cause uh, uh, cause the ball to, to be dislodged or anything. Control that all the way to the to the ground. Uh, Jack Anderson, the guard. Uh, 6'5", 315, the redshirt junior, very physical at the point of attack. I thought he had decent feet, sh uh, shot his hands inside, played with decent leverage, real wide base, able to anchor pretty well. Uh, you know, I, I thought he was he was pretty impressive as well. Um, but Texas getting it done there again. Uh, if we stay in Big Ten, Big 12 play here for a second, uh, the 15th ranked Cowboys who struggled against Tulsa, uh, getting that win 16 to seven, ended up winning 27-13 at home against West Virginia. Uh, Shane Illingworth, the freshman quarterback, got to play. And uh, you know, this was all about the, the, the defense and the running game. And honestly, I thought L.D. Brown looked much more explosive than, than Chuba Hubbard, um, able to, to get over 100 yards and half the carries. Uh, Chuba Hubbard also, ball security was an issue, a couple of fumbles. And honestly, you know, with, with Chuba, he hasn't really gotten going. You know, there, there was... You know, a play where he, he had really good vision, able to see the the, the you know the, the play, you know the, the backside flow, able to cut off of that and, and pick up some yardage. Um, you, you saw him with some speed getting out to the outside and, and down the field, one cut and go type of runner. Um, but it was one of those things where I didn't see him really make guys miss in the open field. Yes, he has the track speed. Yes, he has the one cut and go. But I didn't see the wiggle. I didn't see you know the, the explosive playmaking ability that you want to see out of Chuba Hubbard. Um, flip side, LD Brown was absolutely explosive in this game. So I think as the season's go gone on thus far, and we're only through a couple of games there for the Cowboys, but you know, Mike Gundy's really going to have to find a way uh, to get Chuba Hubbard going. And it's one of those things where he had 22 carries in this game and still managed just over 100 yards on the ground. And that ball security is definitely an issue. Uh, Chuba Hubbard may be losing some ground there in uh, the running back group. Uh, Tylen Wallace, look, six catches, 78 yards. Um, but this, uh, you know, his ability to fight through contact is ridiculous. You know, he's going up against the corner, kind of runs by the corner, fights through the jam at the top of the route and uh, ultimately it hauls in a 30-yard pass, uh, just really uses 
his frame to his uh, to his advantage. You know, he's only six foot, 190 pounds, but he plays a lot bigger than that. Loves the contact, very physical, very strong athlete. And then Tevin Jenkins, uh, you know, he's playing right tackle right now due to injury. Started the season as the left tackle, 6'6", 320, um, and another solid day. You know, I, I thought he, you know, he was beating the defensive end out of his out of his stance. He'd square him up, slid really, you know, was sliding really well. You know, the lateral agility is there. Uh, like to, you know, get his, you know, shoot his hands inside and then lock his arms out, get a wide base, and then just kind of sit down and anchor. And uh, you know, plays with excellent leverage. Um, you know, and, and really was, you know, he blocked down and, and really took that defensive end that kind of caved in the left side um, of that, uh, that that defensive line, and uh, it ended up causing a, you know, with his leg drive, opened up a huge hole for the running back. I think you know, Tevin Jenkins is the guy. You know, when you're looking at this this offensive tackle group, you know, there there are a lot of questions there. You know, about who's going to be the top guys. And uh, I think Tevin Jenkins, with his athleticism, may end up being a top five tackle when it's all said and done. Uh, Rodarius Williams, the, the six foot, 195 pound corner, uh, I thought definitely helped himself. Big number eight. Um, you know, he had four pass breakups in the game, uh, and really, you know, I, I don't know why you know Jared Dagey kept throwing the football to his side of the field. Uh, the ball skills were evident. His ability to to run stride for stride, you know, man to man. Uh, down the sideline, use that sideline to his advantage, um, attacking the, the the football at the catch point. Uh, Rodarius Williams definitely helped himself in, in the game. Uh, the Stills brothers, Darius and and, uh, and Dante, uh, each had a tackle for loss in this game. Uh, both of these guys, you know, showing you know, good quickness off the ball. Uh, you know, Dante used a, a two hands uh, right into the chest. Of, uh, of the offensive lineman, shoved him down, got straight into the backfield, uh, dropped the running back for a tackle for loss. Darius is the, is the nose tackle. Uh, another quick quick get off, but his, his go-to move was the arm over to shoot into the backfield, get a tackle for loss on, on Chuba Hubbard. Uh, those are their two guys. Uh, you know, Darius is, is a senior, the nose tackle. He's six foot 279, uh, undersized. But uh, still a guy who's explosive and, and one of those guys that, look, you know, he may not even get drafted. You know, if he does, it'll probably be late round. Um, but a guy who can play his way onto the football field because, look, you know, speed kills. And you see what a guy, you know, when we were talking about undersized defensive tackles, you can see what, what guys like, um, uh, like, like Geno Atkins and, of course, Aaron Donald, when you talk about guys who are on that shorter side, you know, still able to fire off the football and shoot some gaps and make some plays behind the line of scrimmage. I mean, Aaron Donald, look, you know, people talked about him coming at, you know, into the draft you know, as a undersized uh, defensive tackle, and he's the best player in the game right now on the defensive side. So, um, you know, I, I think just because that, that size doesn't really meet the, the prototypical uh, defensive tackle, don't rule out the uh, the Stills brothers. Let's move on to Alabama. Taking on Missouri, 38-19. And really, you know, the, the game wasn't even as close as, as a score. Jalen Waddell uh, showed off the athleticism again. Like, he's only 5'10", 5, 5, 182 pounds. Um, but, look, Henry Ruggs wasn't the biggest guy either. Um, and I think Jalen Waddell, his game is similar to Henry Ruggs in that they're both explosive. But I think the thing that makes Jalen Waddell so special is his ability to make plays in space. 
Um, the explosiveness there. He may actually be more explosive than Henry Ruggs, if you can believe it. Henry Ruggs is more of a vertical guy. Jalen Waddle's a guy that's going to give you some of that wiggle. Um, and I think he's just as, as quick as he is fast, which is scary. Eight catches, 134 yards, two touchdowns on the day. Devontae Smith, eight receptions for 89 yards. And he's just so smooth, man. So smooth. Body control along the sideline. Uh, you know, a knack for just getting open. One-on-one uh, -on -one versus Stingley a season ago, that vertical route, you know, just ran by him, 75-yard touchdown. Uh, they showed that that play on the, on the broadcast. Um, but, yeah, very smooth. Downfield blocks for his running back, uh, Najee Harris, even on the punt cover team. Uh, a lot to like there with, uh, with, with Devontae Smith. Uh, Najee Harris, look, 6'2", 230 pounds, definitely a power back, powerful leg drive. You know you're going to see that with him. Um, runs with that low pad level between the tackles. But he was also able to get to the you know, off tackle, uh, this lateral cut, runs through contact, and then just that forward momentum, that forward lean, um, you know, showed some good contact balance as well. Uh, end of the day with 17 carries, 98 yards, three touchdowns on the day. Look, between he and Jalen Waddle, they had five touchdowns. Um, you know, and really Alabama, those were all five of the touchdowns there for, for the Tide. Uh, I thought Patrick Sertan uh, continuing his, play, his solid play there at the cornerback position. He's 6'2", 202, press cover corner, looks to jam you off the ball. Um, you know, was, he actually jumped inside on a, on a play where uh, Kiki Chisholm ultimately gets, gets vertical on him. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, he was able to recover well, ended up stride for stride, and, and really gave nowhere, uh, really didn't give Sean Robinson anywhere to put the football. Um, you know, he likes to get those those hands on on the receiver early, and that ultimately you know throws them off uh, off their route. If you can jam them there, reroute, you know, that's really a part of uh, Patrick Sertan's game. But uh, against the run as well, backside leverage on his own replay. Um, I thought you know that was one of the things too. He was also smart, forced the, the quarterback wide on that play because he uh, had that backside leverage. Uh, Alex Leatherwood, you know, 6'4", 313. Um, you wonder if he's going to be a, a guard or a tackle at the next level. Um, you know, but I, I thought he shot his hands in um, inside, sat down early. Um, when you get the hands in there on the, on the defensive end early, and that allows you to set up and really mirror that guy um, and, and take him out of the play. I thought he showed that he can move laterally and pass protection. Um, you know, the pop at the point of attack, driving the defensive end off the football uh, with this leverage and leg, leg drive in the running game. You know, the biggest thing that I worry about is going to be against some of those speed rushers. Um, you know, I think he would be really effective as a guard, but I think he can play tackle at the next level. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see where, uh, where he lands uh, when it's all said and done. Um, Nick Bolton, the Mizzou linebacker, six foot, 232 pounds, showed just how quick he is to diagnose, flies to the football in a hurry, you know, just runs the alley, accelerates through the tackle. That was one of the things that they were talking about on the, on the broadcast, and they're absolutely right. You know, not only does he does he get there and arrive and you know to make the tackle, but he's driving through the ball, the ball carrier to make sure that he's not only wrapping up, this guy's not going anywhere. There's no way that this guy's going to get out of my tackle. Very sure tackler in space. Uh, you know, I think that's one of the things that jumped off the film for Nick Bolton. Um, you know, speaking of linebackers, Dylan Moses is back, 6'3", 240 pounds. 
Uh, you saw the leadership that was out there. He was the signal caller, man. He was you know, making the pre-snap reads. You could see the veteran leadership, which was something that they were lacking on the defense a season ago. Taking excellent angles to the football. Uh, was spying the quarterback once he fled the pocket. Instantly shooting outside, you know, getting to the quarterback. Ultimately dropping him for a sack in the in the open field. Uh, the diagnose, you know, his ability to diagnose plays. You know, the instincts were definitely definitely there for Dylan Moses. I wasn't very high on him. Um, you know, as a sophomore, but seeing him after one game uh, here in, in SEC play uh, as a senior, you can see that he's developed his game, that the instincts are there. You can tell that he's been, been studying game film. Uh, I want to see how he his game progresses as the season goes on. Uh, I think he's one of those guys who's definitely improved uh, over, over the last couple of seasons. And then two other guys that I just want to mention, Joshua Bledsoe and, and uh, Tyree Gillespie. They're both six foot, right around 200, 210 pounds. Safeties for Mizzou. And both of these guys, very versatile. Um, they come up and run support in a hurry. Big hitters. And uh, you know they can also you know, line up in man coverage, especially Joshua Bledsoe. I thought some of the man coverage there for him um, really... Uh, really showed me something there. He's a, a guy that I think you have to have to watch out for as well. Iowa State taking on TCU, 37-34. The Cyclones win this game. And uh, Brock Purdy, look, only five, in, uh, five incompletions on the day. Uh, threw for 211 yards and a touchdown. But uh, you know they actually called it a fumble because the ball was thrown behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, but it was one of the worst turnovers uh, that led to a touchdown that you'll see. Uh, Brock Purdy going down. Um, on a sack and decides he's going to try to throw the football away. And in doing so, he's throwing it backwards, not realizing that uh, LeKendrick Van Zant, the safety, was sitting right there, ends up picking off the, the throw there, ultimately you know, was deemed a fumble, and uh, took it 24 yards for a touchdown. Um, and he was really having a great game going up, up to that point. Um, I thought that he started to develop more chemistry with his receivers. That was one of the things that he struggled in Iowa State's opening game loss to, uh, to Arkansas State. I'm sorry, they lost to uh, Louisiana. Um, it was K-State that lost there, Arkansas State. But uh, Brees Hall had, had a great game as well. You know, the Sooners have to take on Iowa State, and I'll tell you what, they're going to have to sit there and, and defend, not only defend Purdy, they got to get some takeaways. That's a defense that hasn't gotten any takeaways in the last couple of years. They're going to have to really focus on putting pressure on Purdy and then stopping Brees Hall. I thought that was a thing that, that really started jumping off the film was that, you know, just how Brees Hall was able to uh, beat, make some explosive plays, get into the uh, to the second level in a hurry. Uh, defensively for the Cyclones, uh, Jaquan Bailey finally back off of the injury, finally looks to be 100%, uh, was a disruptor in this game. Uh, you know, three and a half sacks, four total tackles for loss, uh, seven sacks on the day. And number three, you know, there were times where he looked like he wasn't able to get off blocks, but there are others where he was just so explosive, um, able to run the arc in, in a hurry, love to get that rip, get underneath that pad level and just kind of you know, run that, you know, tight. And it was really a tight turn coming around the corner as well. Uh, Jaquan Bailey, he, uh, you know, I think he's a guy who's flying under the radar as a pass rusher, someone to absolutely keep an eye on there. 6'2", 262 pounds. You know, if you tune in and watch Iowa State this weekend, look for number three up front. Uh, a guy that I wanted to talk about is not going to be in the draft, but, you know, this year, um, but a guy that you have to have to know, and it's Mike Rose. 
the linebacker, you know, 10 tackles and an interception in this game, but he's 6'4", 245 pounds. The juniors played in every seat, you know, started every single game in his career there at Iowa State. And uh, the instincts, his ability to, he's very intelligent, very active, his ability to make plays all over the football field. He's making plays against the run. He's able to shoot into the backfield and make plays, uh, you know, rushing the quarterback. And uh, he was able to drop into coverage as well. Uh, ultimately had an interception off of a, a tip ball. And uh, you know, he's uh, one of those athletes, you know, he's a big physical linebacker, reminds me a little bit of A.J. Klein uh, when he was coming out of Iowa State there. Um, TCU, you know, the two guys on defense that you really have to watch out for are Garrett Wallow and uh, Trevon uh, Merrig. Uh, Merrig, you can tell, was the, the quarterback of that, that defense, um, you know, that, the back end of the defense, you know, and making all the pre-snap reads. Um, I, I thought that he had a, a solid game. Um, then Garrett Wallow, though, nine tackles, a sack, a couple of tackles for loss, had a forced fumble. He reminds me a lot of Ty Summers. You know, not, not the biggest guy in the world, but a guy who's going to fly around to the football, uh, takes excellent angles, very active, instinctive, reads the play, diagnoses it in a hurry, arrives, and uh, you know comes to, to deliver a, a blow. Uh, but he also does an excellent job wrapping up, um, just diagnoses the play so quickly. Keep an eye out for number 30. Watch TCU play. He's a lot of fun to watch. And I, I think because of, of TCU's defense, you know, they're, they're going to be a team that people are going to still be talking about. And, uh, you know, the quarterbacks, look, you know, I, I talked about how, you know, Jaquan Bailey was making plays. It didn't matter if it was Matthew Downing or uh, Max Duggan uh, at quarterback. Jaquan Bailey was getting after those guys. I think at the end of the day, uh, if TCU just sticks with Max Duggan the entire entire year, then uh, I think they'll end up winning some ball games when it's all said and done as well. Um, you know, Miami, the last game that, I, that we'll be talking about here, Miami took on Florida State. And Miami, Miami's back, man. You know, and you know the U looked like the U. Manny Diaz has them playing 52 to 10. Um, you know, the defense was playing with some attitude. Although, you know, I thought Jalen Phillips you know, had a couple of, of penalties, uh, unsportsmanlike penalties. Had one with the turnover chain. Uh, had another where he kicked the helmet. Ultimately, was ejected from the from the contest. He needs to be a little bit smarter with that. Um, but you know, look, you know Jalen Phillips. Definitely a guy who's not only a pass rusher coming off the edge, a lot of power in his hands as well, driving his guys back into the backfield, able to to play against the run. And then there was his interception that he had. Um, it was kind of funny. The, the quarterback, you know, Blackman was going down, ended up throwing it to him, and he kind of tipped the ball to his, to himself, made a diving uh, diving interception, kind of spun around and, and made the pick. And uh, you just saw the athleticism for a guy his size, 6'5", 260 pounds. Um, Bubba Bolden was the other guy who I thought you know, really had a great game. Four tackles, a sack, a couple of tackles for loss, um, an interception on the day, also a pass breakup. And he was showing the ability to really be the, the, the guy on the back end, to be that quarterback of the of the defense and the secondary. And, uh, you know, Al Blades had an inter interception in the end zone. And, you know, it was Bubba Bolden that made the play, read the, the slant, jumped on it in a hurry, and uh, it was kind of a blur. Just jumped in, made the you know tipped the ball up into the air. Outblades made the made the the interception, but uh, just making making these reads, reading the, the slant to uh, receivers in front of them, driving on the ball, uh, making a big hit on on the receiver, dislodging him from uh, the football from the receiver, and uh, you know all out blitz shoots off the off the edge, did not miss. 
got a sack of the quarterback, Bubba Bolden there on, on defense. Uh, he and Jalen Phillips are the two guys that I thought made the, the, the best uh, impression. Although Quincy Roche, if you watch this game, he had his 28th career sack in the game, which is most among the active uh, players in the FBS, but his hand usage, the hand play, you know, he, he's only 6'3", 245, but you saw him, you know, using a, a variety of hand moves and really, you know, when you use that, he knows how to convert the speed to power, able to really put a jolt there in the offensive lineman, drive him back. Uh, I was impressed with, with Quincy Roche's play, uh, absolutely there. Uh, Marvin Wilson, man. Marvin Wilson, you know, this is the guy who could look so dominant, you know, but, you know, he, again, potential versus production, 6'5", 305. I thought Jared Williams, the tackle there, the 6'6", transfer from Houston, um, I, I thought did an excellent job with, with Wilson the majority of the time. You know, he got beaten with an arm over to the inside, but you know, Marvin Wilson was lined up as, as a five technique going up against uh, Jared Williams. And when he had those matchups, Jared Williams was winning the majority of those. He was shooting his hands inside, uh, and a lot of times he was winning the leverage battle against Marvin Williams would stand him up, basically neutralize his rush. Uh, you know, Marvin Wilson really struggled to, to get into the backfield and make any plays. And then finally, you could tell, you know, a little bit of frustration ended up getting called for targeting uh, there at the end of the game. Um, you know, so he, he's a guy, look, you know, defensive tackle position, I think any it's anybody's game right now in terms of who the top defensive tackle is going to be. And, and Marvin Wilson right now hasn't solidified himself as the guy. Um, you know, Revan Jordan, look, you know, I, you know 6'3", 245, and uh, another, you know, mismatch there. They lined him in the slot. They lined him at, uh, you know, in line. They split him out as well. You know, put him all over the field, and he does a little bit of everything. Um, you know, but I thought, you know, the downfield block, you know, he, he got a block on uh, on Travis J, the corner. Um, ultimately, you know, took Mark Pope uh, on a screen, allowed him to, to uh, make a play. Uh, down the field for a big gain, um, you know, extending for the football, excellent uh, catch radius for a guy his size, um, you know, just physical, physical play as well, but you know, just the athleticism, his ability to get vertical. Um, I, I think he's really worked on his game as a blocker, and that's the thing that I think is going to put Brevin Jordan potentially ahead of Kyle Pitts on some draft boards. He may end up being the top uh, tight end taken. Um, you know, so I think that's going to be the battle that you have to watch. Who's going to win that tight end battle between Brevin Jordan and Kyle Pitts? Um, you know, I think the, the state of Florida has two really top-notch tight ends, um, and it's going to be fun to watch both of those guys do battle. So with that said, we're going to go ahead and transition. We're going to take a look at the Pac-12. Pac-12 starting play on November 6th. I know we got a little bit of time, but I still wanted to make mention of some players that you want to keep an eye out for. And so when we talk about the quarterback position, I think you know, first and foremost, we got to look at Davis Mills out of Stanford. 6'4", 212 pounds. This was the guy that filled in for KJ Costello when he went down to injury. And in eight games, look, Completed over 65% of his passes, 11 touchdowns, did throw five interceptions, need to cut down on some of those mistakes, but he's a big physical kid uh, and a guy who uh, has a strong arm, can make plays from within the pocket. Um, you know, Stanford, you know, they had a down year last year, and if they want to get back and challenge for a Pac-12 title, they're going to need a huge year out, out of Davis Mills. Uh, Chase Garber is another guy that you really want to watch out for. I'm sorry, uh, Jay, yeah, Chase Garber is there out of Cal, 6'2", 205, um, two-year starter. Um, you know, only played in nine games this past season. Um, you know, and 
has 13 interceptions uh, in his career, but only three this past season. So really cut down on a lot of the mistakes, um, 60%, you know, passing. And he's a guy who, you know, he's, he's not going to wow you with a ton of yards, but a guy who's just an intelligent quarterback, doesn't make a ton of mistakes. And, uh, you know, he's a guy, like he's only a junior. He'll come back for one more year. But uh, those are the two quarterbacks to keep an eye out for. Look, next year's draft class, when you look at some of the quarterbacks, you're going to be talking about Keaton Slovis. You're going to be talking about Jalen Daniels. Uh, they're at, uh, you know, at ASU. Uh, so there are going to be some quarterbacks that we're going to be talking about. But you know, we lost the likes of Justin, uh, Justin Herbert, you know, KJ Costello. Uh, you know, so there, there are some, some players that, that are missing from this group. Uh, because of that. So not a whole lot of quarterbacks that are going to be draft eligible for us to really keep an eye on in the Pac-12 right now. Um, if we move on to the running backs, there are some guys that you definitely want to watch. Uh, C.J. Verdell, explosive back, 5'9", 210 pounds, um, you know, back-to-back, 1,000-yard seasons, 18 total touchdowns in his career, 6.2 yards per carry a season ago. Uh, look, you know, Mario Cristobal, there, there's no... No hiding the fact that he wants to be physical. He wants to be a downhill running team. Uh, has a physical offensive line up front. He's a former offensive lineman himself, you know, out of the University of uh, of Miami. And uh, Verdell, definitely a guy who can run between the tackles. Has some speed to bounce it outside. Also a solid receiver with 41 receptions in his career. Um, he's someone to keep an eye on as a potential uh, early entry. Uh, Max Borgie there at Washington State. Look, he was playing under the Mike Leach system, uh, but 5'10", 197 pounds. Uh, you know, 1,100 yards in his in his career on the ground, 19 touchdowns. But this is a guy. Look, 139 receptions in his career. Uh, a guy who has tremendous hands, makes plays in space. Um, you know, very athletic uh, running back. Look, he's only a junior. I don't anticipate him entering the draft, but he's a guy who I think his stock is going to continue to rise because look, there are guys who. You know, can make a make a name for themselves as a running back, catching the football out of the backfield, and that's what's gonna. Max Borgie will be a guy who will make an NFL roster. Uh, a lot of fun to watch. So if you tune in and watch the you know the the, the Cougs at all, they're up in the Palouse. He's gonna be a guy that you're gonna want to key in on. Uh, Jamar Jefferson, also a junior there for Oregon State, the Beavers, 5'11", 214 pounds, big, powerful back. Only played in nine games in 2019. Um, you know, but you know. As a true freshman, over 1,300 yards on the ground, 12 touchdowns. A guy who can catch the football a little bit out of the backfield. Love the contact balance. Has some speed as well. Not going to be a burner by any means, but uh, some good lateral agility out of uh, Jamar Jefferson for sure. Um, And if we look at a few other backs that uh, have a chance, if my computer will cooperate with me. Uh, How about Christopher Brown there out of Cal? 6'1", 230 pounds, big, powerful back, um, thrust into a starting role and took advantage of it there in 2019 as a sophomore, uh, 914 yards on the ground, 22 receptions as well. The guy who, you know what, you know, he's going to wear you down, he's going to get better as the game goes along, wants to pound the ball, continue to pound it between the tackles. Uh, you know, a guy that you're definitely going to want to keep an eye out for. And then Alex Fontenot there for Colorado, 6'4", 195 pounds. And uh, you know, as a sophomore as well, look, there are a lot of junior running backs that are talented there in Pac-12 play. And if none of them enter the draft, we're talking about a pretty nice crop of running backs there for uh, the 2022 draft. 
Uh, but 874 yards on the ground, 27 receptions. Uh, Colorado breaking in a new quarterback now that Steven Montez has, has moved on. Uh, so Alex Fontenot, they're probably going to be leaning on him quite a bit to, uh, to really gain a lot of yards there on the ground. If we transition to the receivers, I think there are, there's a duo there at USC that you have to keep an eye on. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr. has moved on, but you know, if you don't know who Amon Ross St. Brown is, you probably know his brother Equinemius or possibly his brother Osiris who played at Stanford. Uh, yeah, Equinemius played at Notre Dame, went to the Packers. Um, 6'1", 195 pounds is Amon Ra. Um, and you know, this is a kid, you know, he speaks four languages fluently. Um, his dad was a, you know, Mr. Olympia. Um, and you look at him, just a sneaky, smooth receiver. 77 catches, over 1,000 yards, six touchdowns. Uh, was a weapon coming over the middle. Just a knack for getting open. Savvy route runner. He's just he's one of those intelligent, intelligent players. And uh, you know, a guy who just you know when when JT Daniels uh, showed up there as a freshman with Amon Ross St. Brown, he was like that security blanket. He looked for him every chance he got. And, and with Keaton Slovis. You know, you almost forgot about Amon Ross St. Brown because you have Michael Pittman Jr. making all the big plays, and he still ended up over a thousand yards on the season. Uh, just such a smooth, smooth athlete. Going to be a lot of fun to watch, and he's one of those guys who I think could be a day two pick because he his ability to play in the slot, can get vertical, can you know, attack the middle of the field, fearless, and uh, you know a guy that I think you know is going to be a favorite target of any quarterback there at the next level. Tyler Vaughn, 6'2", 190 pounds, a guy that's going to be a weapon on the outside. Uh, over just under 2,400 yards receiving in his career, 17 touchdowns. Look for a big year from him catching the football from Keaton Slovis. Uh, if you go across the, the crosstown rivalry there to the, the UCLA Bruins, little 5'9", 189-pound Demetric Felton, uh, you know, a guy who lines up both as a running back and a receiver. Uh, did a little bit of everything, and I think that, that versatility is going to bode well for him at the next level. Uh, look, you know, again, only 5'9", but uh, had 86 catches. Um, wait, is that right? Uh, for 331 yards. And I'm sorry, no, that's uh, 86 carries for 331 yards, and then 55 catches for 594 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, I have my numbers flipped here. Um, you know, but 13 uh, pump returns took one back to the house. Um, so Dimitri Felton, definitely an explosive player. Um, I think Dorian Thompson Robinson, uh, DTR, is going to be looking for Felton, whether he's a receiver, whether he's a running back, a little bit of everything. I love that versatility, um, which is going to give him a shot at the next level. Um, Arizona State, you know, a, a year removed from having Brandon Ayuk. You know, they've had Nikhil Harry before that. Frank Darby is a dude. He's 6'1", 200 buffed up i mean you look at the guy he's, he's chiseled and uh he's ready for prime for a breakout season you know, I, I think with you know jaden daniels um you know running that offense um he's gonna need a, a go-to target and i think frank darby absolutely can get vertical um over 20 yards per reception in his career uh you know this past season you know he finished at 19.9 uh, yards per reception, which is the lowest of his uh, average yards per reception in, in his career there for the Sun Devils. He's going to be a, a go-to guy there. And then Johnny Johnson, just a smooth receiver, six foot, 198 pounds, um, went over 800 yards this past season. Uh, you know, Juwan Johnson's not there. 
Uh, you know, and, and so I, I think when you've got a, a young quarterback that you're, you're going to be breaking in there for, for the Ducks, now that Justin Herbert's gone, you're going to need the go-to target, a reliable weapon. Johnny Johnson is going to be that guy. I think he's going to be the leader of that, that receiver, receiving core. There are a lot of nice receivers there at Oregon, but there are a lot of young guys, and Johnny Johnson I think is going to be that guy. Can he step up and take on that leadership role? That's going to be interesting to watch. Two tight ends there for the Pac-12 that you really have to keep an eye on. Uh, and the first one's going to be Brent Keithy out of, uh, out of Utah, 6'2", 235-pound junior. Uh, really had a breakout season this past year. Uh, 34 catches, over 600 yards, 17.7 yards per reception, six touchdowns. A guy who lines up all over the field. He can line up uh, you know, in the slot. He can line up as an inline, um, an H-back, as a fullback if you needed him to. Um, you know, very adept at, at, you know, at blocking um, in the running game. He can also be a, a pass blocker when needed as well. But he's an athletic guy on the outside. Uh, I really like Brent Keithy, but I also like Kate Otten. You know, 6'5", 246 pounds, only a junior there out of Washington, um, but you know, had 32 receptions this past season, uh, catching po- uh, footballs from, from Jacob Eason. I think he's going to be another one of those weapons, going to be a guy coming over the middle, be one of those targets. Hunter Bryant's not there anymore, so Kate Otten's going to be one of the more focal points of that offense. If you transition to the offensive line, look, no Panay Sewell. Um, you know, Panay Sewell's opted out. Uh, but the 6'6", 330-pounder, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about him. Zero sacks, 926 pass plays, and uh, he had just seven hurries um, you know, a, a season ago. And uh, I heard some people talk about him being kind of clumsy with his footwork, um, you know, that he's really raw. Um, I saw a guy who played with absolute, you know, with excellent leverage. You know, I thought he was so easy with his, his movement, you know, his ability to slide. You know, even if you, you, know, you clean up the, the technique, okay, but uh, I thought he was about as easy a mover as, as there was in college football. That includes Jedrick Wills. I actually heard some, saw somebody on Twitter talk about Jedrick Wills already being a, a lock for the Hall of Fame after just a couple of games there with the Browns. Um, but um, I, I thought that you know in terms of the pass sets, you know they're about as pretty a pass set as, as you're going to see. Um, you know in the running game, the power you saw the you know the, the agility. Um, I think Panay Sewell has has the has all the tools that can end up being a top three pick in this draft. Um, you know, but he's not the only tackle there in Pac-12 play that's going to be opting out. Walker Little also announced that he was going to opt out. Six seven, three hundred twenty pounds. Um, you know, he ultimately said on September 10th that he was going to go ahead and and uh, forego. His, uh, his, his final season there at Stanford uh, was a first-team All-Pac-12 selection as a sophomore in 2018, then suffered that season-ending injury in the season opener a season ago. He's big. He's physical. Um, he's going to throw you around at the point of attack. Uh, moves pretty well laterally. Uh, but you know, I wanted I want to see Walker Little play. I want to see him come back off of that injury, show that he can you know that he can play. Now that the Pac-12 has announced that they are playing, I want to see if Walker Little is going to end up playing, you know, and, and opt into the season. I know Stanford right now, being in, in the Bay Area, they they had all the fires and everything, and I know that that's really a hot spot for COVID. You know, are they going to be able to get out onto the field? Are there concerns? I just saw that Paulson and Debo, the, the cornerback, has opted out. So there's a good chance that Walker Little may not opt back in, um, you know, which 
Um, you know, bad news there for, for David Shaw. Um, but I really hope we do get to see him because I think he's a guy that can um, can be a difference maker there. Um, Abraham Lucas out of Washington State, 6'7", 324-pound junior. Um, look, this was a guy, you know, when uh, Andre Dillard was on the right side, on the left side, uh, you know, there's Abraham Lucas on the right uh, as a freshman. And uh, he more than held his own, you know, excellent length, you know, the long arms. He likes to, to really lock lock those uh, those long arms out and really keep that defensive end off of his body. Um, pretty easy mover as well. Um, he'll be a guy to watch there in the Palouse. Um, if we move on to the guards, I'll give you a guy here, Elijah Vera Tucker out of USC, 6'4", 310 pounds. And the junior, uh, he opted out and you know on September 9th and hasn't decided yet if he's going to come back to SC or not. Uh, second team All-Pac 12 pick a season ago. But look, here's the thing about Elijah Vera Tucker. He has the versatility to play guard and tackle. And a season ago, he was USC's Offensive Lineman of the Year. And that's on an offensive line that had Austin Jackson, who was a first-round pick of the Miami Dolphins. Uh, so that says a lot about uh, you know the uh, athleticism and the play of, of Elijah Vera Tucker. Um, you know, Jackson Kirkland out of Washington, 6'7", 324 pounds. The junior uh, three-year starter there uh, for Washington. This will be his third year, so um, you know, started you know the majority of his career there. Um, one of the veteran leaders up front for the, the Huskies. And uh, the center position, uh, Drew Dolman out of Stanford, 6'3", 286-pound uh, all-pack 12 performer there. Orlando Umana out of Utah, 6'4", 340 pounds, big physical uh, presence there in the middle there for, for Utah. Um, UCLA got a Villanova transfer after the FCS canceled their season. Uh, Paul Groton, uh, or Grattan transfers to UCLA and then Pac-12 decided that they weren't going to play. I'm sure he's definitely thrilled with the fact that uh, Pac-12 is going to hit the field. Uh, 6'3", 300 pounds, was a veteran there, three-year starter for, uh, for Villanova. Uh, looking forward to seeing what he can do there for the Bruins, especially because they've lost Jake Burton. Uh, Josh McCauley uh, out of Arizona, 6'4", 284 pounds, uh, 22 game starter. Um, he's another guy there at the center position. That, you know, I think of the offensive line, that's probably the most depth in terms of draft eligible prospects um, uh, on the offensive line right now in the Pac-12. Um, you know, these are guys that uh, are veteran players. Um, are they on the level of Creed Humphrey, Trey Hill, Landon Dickerson, um, Jimmy Morrissey of Pittsburgh? Probably not. Um, you know, Drake Jackson and Rashawn Slater, if he decides to uh, end up playing at center, uh, they're probably not there. They're probably a step below, but uh, still guys to keep an eye on. Uh, still guys to definitely watch and see if they might be developmental guys there for the next level. Um, and I mentioned that uh, Jake Burton, the offensive tackle there at UCLA, opted to transfer uh, when Pac-12 decided that they weren't going to play. There were actually a lot of guys that did that. Um, you had Seth Collins, the, the receiver there for, for Oregon State. Uh, he ends up moving and uh, ends up moving to Texas Tech. Uh, transferred to Texas Tech, and they had so many receivers on the offensive side of the football, he decided that he was going to play safety uh, for the Red Raiders. Uh, you know, the Schooler brothers, uh, Colin Schooler, uh, you know, and his brother Brendan. Brendan transferred from Oregon um, you know, to Arizona, and he was going to play with his brother there at Arizona, ultimately now transferring to Texas, and Colin Schooler now at Texas Tech. 
Uh, you know, Tony Fields, you know, Arizona really getting hit hard. Tony Fields transferred to, to West Virginia. Uh, Luke Paquette, the defensive end there for, for Cal, transferred to, to BC. Um, so there have been a lot of guys that have been moving around. Tay Martin, the, the receiver there out of Washington State, um, who was expected to, to have a big impact there on the passing game for the Cougs. Uh, he transferred to Oklahoma State. So a lot of guys uh, deciding to, to transfer. And we've talked about some guys that have been opting out. So the Pac-12, you know, there, there has been a, a big impact and a big hit to some of the talent because of the fact that they've decided to start so late. Defensively. If we look at defensive end, I think one of the guys that pops out to me is Thomas Booker, uh, 6'4", 281, the junior there for Stanford, uh, is a you know, great five technique uh, for the Cardinal. Pretty active, had 50 tackles a season ago, eight and a half going for loss, four sacks, three pass breakups as well. Uh, utilizes his length to his advantage. Um, I, I think he'll be a, a, a five technique at the next level. Uh, a guy who I think can make some plays behind the line of scrimmage. If he can show that he can get after the quarterback a little bit, I think he'll be a guy to really keep an eye on. Uh, J2 Fele out of USC. Look, you know, J2 Fele is a lot of fun to watch if you get him on tape. Um, if you haven't gotten to watch him play at all, uh, definitely look for some, some tape on, on him. Here's the thing with J2 Fele. He's opted out. Hasn't said yet whether or not he's going to come back to SC. 6'3", 305. Um, is he going to be a first-round pick? I think there, he's kind of a borderline right now. 10 tackles for loss, six and a half sacks in his career uh, to this point with the Trojans. And um, I'm looking to see exactly when he opted out. Um, I don't have the, the specifics there for, for Tufele um, at this point. But I know that uh, he did hire an agent. Um, so he'd have to work his way back, much like uh, Rashad Bateman was able to do. But look, Rashad Bateman was ultimately able to make his way back onto the field um, for the Gophers. Um, you know, it looks like he actually opted out August 19th, so he made an early decision. You know, if he decides, you know, with the agent, he might still be able to to get onto the field. And what I like about J2 Fele um, is the quickness off the football. You see, you know, he's very quick. Um, as a freshman against Utah, picked up the strip sack, went 48 yards down the field, very nimble feet, showed some speed for a guy his size, uh, fires off really low off the ball. Um, it was one of those things that he went up against Panay Sewell uh, when they played against Oregon, and uh, you know, he was forced to the ground by the by the by, by Sewell, but he kept working under the tackle. Ultimately, got got the sack of the quarterback. Um, he does a good job getting off his blocks with quick, violent hands, very disruptive. Um, uses his arm over um, off the ball, and that's one of the things I think that he kept kept using over and over. And I look at my notes, whether it's UCLA, Utah, Stanford, Colorado, it was always the same with those hands. Using that quick swim move, that arm over. If you're getting a USC defensive lineman, you know that they're going to have active hands. That's exactly what you're going to get out of J2 Failey. I just hope that he comes back and plays in his junior season. Solidify your status as a, as a first-round pick, because right now I think you're kind of borderline and may end up being a day two pick as a result. Mustafa Johnson out of Colorado, 6'2", 290. He burst on the scene as a sophomore uh, with 15.5 uh, tackles for loss, 7.5 sacks. Battled some injuries in 2019. Um, just had you know, four and a half sacks. And uh, you know, he's, he's one of those guys to me that I enjoy watching Mustafa Johnson play because he uses his hands so well to keep working to the quarterback. Has a decent uh, burst off the football. Um, you know, does a good job, you know, converting that speed to power, getting his offensive tackle off balance, 
and then able to get inside, shoot inside, and get to the quarterback. You know, that's something that you know, if if he can stay healthy, I think Mustafa Johnson could be poised for a breakout season here in uh, in 2020. Um, you know, Levi Onwuzurike out of Washington. He's 6'3", 293. He's uh, already said that he's, he's opting out for the season. And we'll see if he decides that he wants to come back. Um, he made the opt-out there on September 17th. So, um, you know, it's, it's a pretty recent declaration. So we may not see him back. Um, but what I, I, I think when you study the film for him, uh, 16 tackles for loss, 7 sacks, and you know he continued you know just to get you know better and better in terms of his production and just very athletic very active worked his way into a starting role uh, he's clearly athletic showcases some power but his problem is that he'll get negate, uh, negated you know any of that power any of that speed is negated by by that pad level it'll creep up get too high he'll play too upright and for an offensive line that's an offensive lineman's dream i got my entire guy in front of me to to block there's a lot to hit. There's a lot to, to control there. And uh, that's what gets Levi into trouble. If he can fire low off the football, that's what's really going to set him up. Um, I'm hoping that Levi has a change of heart, decides he's going to come back um, and not opt out, you know, opt back in. Um, but, you know, I, I just don't know if that's actually going to happen. I'll give you one more guy out of, out of SC, um, Brandon Peely, 6'4", 325. He's big. He's physical. He's going to be in that rotation up front. Um, he and Marlon Tui-Pelotu, um, he's really going to be counted on to make some plays. Uh, Drake Jackson, the phenomenal sophomore defensive end. Uh, but I think they're going to count on Brandon Peely to really you know, take up a lot of blockers and uh, you know, open up some some holes for for those linebackers, especially uh, Pala Ie, not Ote Ote, who we'll talk about here in a minute. Um, you know, but he, he's a guy that I think NFL teams have to at least keep an eye on as a potential developmental prospect. Moving to the linebackers. So Joe Tryon out of Washington, 6'5", 262, the junior, explosive, explosive defensive end, a guy who plays with power and speed. He's another guy who's opted out. You know, he was one of the uh, early guys, August 29th, opted out um, after eight sacks, 12 and a half tackles for loss last season, second team uh, all-conference honors. And, uh, you know, a guy, look, you know, very heavy-handed. You know, I thought that was one of the things that you definitely saw out of him. Um, but also an ability to, you know, get underneath uh, the the defensive end, or I'm sorry, uh, underneath the, the offensive tackle's pad level, drive him all the way back to the quarterback with some brute strength, that bull rush coming off the edge, but also uses a quick in, uh, arm over, uh, shooting into the into the backfield. Um, you know, arm over is kind of his... his uh, his arm move of, of hand usage, and arm move of choice. You want to see a little bit more variety to his pass rush skills, but definitely the power and the quickness. You definitely see that 6'5", 262. I'd love to see him come back as well. I think both he and, uh, and Wazurike need to polish their skills a little bit, you know, and really showcase some of that. You know, if he's going to be, this is a down year for for pass rushers. So you know, Tryon has a chance to slide into into the first round. I still believe he's a day two pick right now. Um, how about Hamilcar Rashad, six uh, four, two thirty six? You know, a guy who, you know, as a sophomore, twelve and a half tackles for loss, just two and a half sacks, explodes in twenty nineteen. Very active, sixty two total tackles, twenty two and a half going for loss, fourteen sacks. That fourteen sacks was a was a Oregon State Beaver record, and uh, both the tackles for loss and sacks were among the the nation lead uh, there. And he's he's kind of an undersized guy. Um, but uh, definitely very explosive. 
Uh, like to line up at that wide nine technique uh, and explode out of the stance, easily running the arc to get by that, la that left tackle. Um, times his, the snap count very well, very explosive, getting off the ball, uh, flattens out in a hurry to get to the quarterback. Uh, but he also does a good job diagnosing plays uh, in the passing game. Read a swing pass um, to Eno Benjamin against uh, Arizona State. Uh, watched the game there. He was flying downhill after sliding with the, the running back into the flat. Uh, chase the running back down all the way to the sideline. Um, you know, uses his hands very well. You're starting outside, getting back inside with his hands. So he's a guy who, um, you know, I think is just going to continue to get better. And man, I really am glad that the Pac-12 um, is going to be playing in 2020 because everyone needs to be able to watch Hamilcar Rochette. I think he's explosive. He's probably one of the best, if not the best, pass rusher. Nobody's really talking about. Uh, I'll give you a name of an inside backer who's a junior who's poised for a, a big season, and that's Merlin Robertson there out of Arizona State. Started every game there for the Sun Devils that he's played in. 6'3", 251, um, extinct, uh, instinctive, a guy that can drop into coverage, um, has two interceptions, four pass breakups in his career, but also makes plays behind the line of scrimmage, 13 and a half tackles for loss, can get after your quarterback, seven sacks. Um, you know, he's he and Darian Butler are the two leaders of the linebacking core, but he's big, he's physical, he's a three-down linebacker, and uh, you know has a chance uh, to potentially, if he declares, to be one of those sneaky guys uh, in that fourth, fifth round range that uh, can end up making a roster and, and make an impact at the next level. Uh, Devin Lloyd out of Utah, the 6'3", 235-pound pass rusher, um, you know, came in as a sophomore in 2019. Uh, six and a half sacks, you know, made some some plays coming off the edge, but also had 91 tackles. Very very active guy. I think you know Utah is really going to be able to turn him loose in uh, in 2020. Let him get after the quarterback a little bit more. He's a guy who's twitchy. He's bendy. Can get off the edge. Um, so I think he's poised for a big game, uh, or I'm sorry, a big season. Nate Landman. Uh, out of Colorado, 6'3", 235, inside backer, back-to-back, 100-tackle -back, uh, seasons, a guy who flies around to the football. Really had a breakout sophomore season, uh, 15 tackles for loss, four sacks. You know, a guy who can drop into coverage a little bit, has three interceptions and six pass breakups in his career. Another guy that nobody's really talking about, but I think he's a guy that uh, can potentially have a bit, if he has a big year there for Colorado, I think he can rise up some draft boards because I think he's a playmaker. Uh, Cal has a couple of athletic linebackers, and uh, you know Kwoni Dang, um, he's 6'6", 245. He's only 220 a season ago, um, so I'm hoping that you know with that size, it doesn't really take away from his explosiveness. Because look, this guy was playing all over the field. Um, you know, 121 tackles, making plays behind the line of scrimmage, getting after the quarterback, had eight pass breakups as well, so he can drop into coverage. He's big, he's long, he's athletic. He's going to be somebody that people are going to be talking about as one of those sneaky guys that's going to be that third, fourth round pick and uh, be that athletic linebacker that flies around the football field. You know, those linebackers next level linebackers you really have to, to have some of that athleticism and be a guy that can be a, a three down backer uh, Cameron Good also out of California 6'3 235 uh, you know, another guy that can make plays behind the line of scrimmage but look he can get after the quarterback nine and a half sacks this past season um, you know prior to that only have one and a half sacks in his first two years there um, for the Bears but really uh, 2019 was was the game you know the first season that he got to see an entire season on the field 
Um, so I, th I think Cameron Good, if he can stay healthy, um, he'll have a, a solid year there and, and that pass rush ability, maybe be a guy that flies under the radar. Uh, Ryan Bowman out of Washington, six foot, uh, 269, a defensive end, linebacker. You know, he kind of reminds me a little bit of John Simon. He'll be a guy that uh, can put some pressure on the quarterback a little bit. I think he's more one-dimensional. Um, Jihad Woods, another one of those new age linebackers, 6'1", 228 out of Washington State. 141 tackles a season ago, uh, 10 tackles for loss, three sacks, a guy that can drop into coverage a little bit, but he's a volume tackler, a guy that's gonna play sideline to sideline, uh, diagnosis plays quickly, flies around to the football. And then I mentioned Pala Ie Naote Ote. Only played in 15 games at USC because he's battled injuries. Um, but you know, during that time, he's definitely made an impact. He's 6'2", 250, comes, you know, comes downhill, plays out of control at times, which will get him into trouble, uh, plays with reckless abandon, doesn't really, you know, sacrifices his body uh, to make some plays. I want to see him, you know, be a little bit smarter, diagnose the plays, read and react, but come under control. You know, break down, wrap up in space. And I think he's he could potentially, if he, if he has a big year for the Trojans defensively, um, you know, that's really what USC is looking for is a guy that can make some plays at the linebacker position. I mentioned, you know, when we go to corners, uh, that Paulson Adibo's opted out. He was one of my favorite corners, you know, as a, as a, uh, a true freshman, I'm sorry, as a sophomore there um, for Stanford. He was actually a redshirt freshman. Uh, but 17 pass breakups and four interceptions on on the year, and just you know, he, he was a, a four-star receiver, and you can see the receiver skills. You know, he he understood the routes and ran the routes better than the receivers, and then the ball skills absolutely took over. Um, you know, in 2019, got picked on a little bit more. Um, you know, really trying to take advantage of of some of his aggressiveness. Still have four interceptions, 10 pass breakups. I think Paulson Debo to me is one of those guys who could potentially sneak into round number one. I wanted to see him compete. Uh, he's decided that he's going to go ahead and opt out. He and Caleb Farley are two of the top corners that have decided to opt out. I know that Sean Wade's opted back in. Patrick uh, Sertan's also playing as well. He, because of that, I think that could end up hurting his draft stock when it's all said and done. Um, you know, I, I think it may push him to day two. Elijah Molden, a lot to like there out of the Washington uh, Husky, 5'10", 180 pounds. You know, he could be your nickel. Um, absolutely a guy that's going to line up in the slot, have four interceptions, 12 pass breakups, diagnosis plays very quickly, you know, gets downhill in a hurry, undercuts routes. Uh, he's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, the two Oregon corners have opted out. They may opt back in, but you know, Diamador Lenore is another nickel corner, 5'11", 202. He plays on the outside for the Ducks, 21 pass breakups in his career, five interceptions, you know, really good ball skills. Um, but you know, Thomas Graham, I, I believe, you know, in terms of the Pac-12, you know, is the leader in terms of passes defended. Uh, has 40 passes defended, including you know, eight interceptions, 32 pass breakups in his career. Uh, 5'11", 197, a little undersized. You know, so it's one of those things. Is he going to play on the outside? Is he going to have to play on you know, in, in the slot? Um, you know, I think the ball skills are evident. And that's what's going to get him drafted is, you know, he can make plays on the football. Um, you know, Chase Lucas, he, he's six foot, only 176 pounds. He gets pushed around a little bit, but the ball skills are evident. You know, another guy that drives quickly on the football. Um, he's not afraid to come up and run support as well. 11 tackles for loss in his career there for the Sun Devils. Um, you know, Cameron Bynum and Elijah Hicks there at Cal. You know, you don't have Jalen Hawkins. You don't have Ashton, Ashton Davis back there. But these are going to be the two guys that are going to be leading that that uh, that secondary. Uh, Cam Bynum, 
Um, you know, he's he's another guy. Like I said, he, he's opted out, but he may opt back in. You know, I, I think it's going to be one of those things. He he opted out on September sixth. The fifth year senior. Look, he started thirty eight consecutive games for the Bears, and uh, you hope that he can get back out there on the field. Twenty six pass breakups, five interceptions in his career. Uh, you know, a guy who has tremendous ball skills. And then Elijah Hicks, 5'11", 192. Um, you know, another guy who has some some instincts, some some ball skills. Um, you know, if Cameron Bynum doesn't come back, then Elijah Hicks is really going to, you know, the pressure is going to be on him to really step up as a playmaker. And then Elijah Griffin there for USC, only a junior, six foot, 170 pounds, uh, the son of the, the late great rapper Nate Dog. Um, you know, 10 pass breakups in his career, including nine a season ago. He drew uh, the, the other team's best receiver more often than not. And he's one of those guys, he was up for the challenge. There were a couple of times where he would get beaten, but you would see him stride for stride, you know, and he would attack the football. Um, got a little bit too aggressive at times, which would get him into trouble, get him out of position. Um, but he's one of those smart corners, and I think he's primed for a big season there for the Trojans. Um, you know, Trojans are going to be counting on him to have a huge year. Uh, Javon Holland, the Oregon safety, 6'1", 196. He's opted out, um, you know, but a guy who does a little bit of everything. He can make plays in the box, can make plays behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, a guy who's a deep safety, you know, very instinctive, a guy that drives quickly on the football, nine interceptions in his career, 10 pass breakups, and so dynamic as a as a returner as well. He's very dynamic in the open field, uh, 15.3 uh, yards per punt return uh, a, a season ago, so definitely a guy to keep an eye on. Um, he's a potential first-round pick. Uh, Talanoa Hufanga out of USC, 6'1", 220 pounds. This was a guy who was leading SC in, in tackles in every single game. Would have 10, 12, 15 tackles. Um, you know, everywhere, you, you know, every time he looked up, you know, Hufanga was the guy making the tackle. Number 15 was flying everywhere. Um, you know, a guy that would just run the alley and uh, make plays, you know, behind the line of scrimmage. Was wrapping up really well. Had seven and a half tackles for loss, three, three and a half sacks. 90 tackles, uh, but he only played in 10 games because this was a guy, you know, really just flying around with a reckless abandon. Didn't always wrap up, which was part of his problem. But you know, he, he injured one shoulder, uh, missed some time, came back, and then injured the other shoulder. So he was playing with two bad shoulders. You know, this is a guy he needs to take care of his body a little bit. But he's a guy that's you know he just doesn't care. He's going to go around, fly around to the football, make plays. Uh, Ashari Crosswell is a guy who has uh, some ball skills there for Arizona State. I mentioned Chase Lucas, but the six foot, 196 pound junior uh, in two seasons there in Tempe, six interceptions, 19 pass breakups. You know, he's the guy on the back end that I think you really need to keep an eye on that nobody's really talking about. Uh, Brady Breeze out of Oregon. I think everybody knows Brady Breeze because he's the, uh, the Rose Bowl uh, defensive MVP in that game. Um, when you look at Brady Breeze and what he did in that, in the, that, that win against Wisconsin, 11 tackles, uh, took one, uh, took a fumble recovery back to the house uh, there, there for the Ducks. And, you know, this was a guy, look, down the stretch, he was making plays in the secondary. He may have been the best secondary player. I mentioned three other other Ducks in, in this group. But I thought Brady Breeze, you know, he, he's the guy now he's going to be relied upon, especially if D'Amador Lenore and Thomas uh, Graham don't come back, you know, and, and John Holland's also opted out. Brady Breeze is going to have to hold that secondary together. Six foot, 198. You know, I, I think the pressure is really going to be on him. You know, really keep an eye, see what he, see what he can do. Um, but look, you know, he took a, had a pick six with an interception, two fumble returns for, for, for touchdown as well. He's a big play guy. Um, 
let's see what he's made of. You know, I think if, if the Ducks have a big year in the secondary, a lot is going to be uh, because of the play of Brady Breeze there on the back end. And one final guy there out of USC as well, Isaiah Polamau, 6'4", 205, the junior, especially when Talanoa Hufanga was battling injuries. Uh, SC really relied on, on Polamau to make plays on the back end, and he definitely responded. You know, a guy that um, you know, played on the back end, would, would read the, 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 the quarterback's eyes, uh, allow that to take him to the football, had four interceptions on the year. He's big, he's rangy, a guy that can play sideline to sideline. Um, so he'll, he and Hufanga, along with uh, Elijah Griffin, uh, and then Chris Steele, who's a, a tremendous sophomore for the Trojans, you know, USC is starting to, to build up that secondary, which has really been a, you know, a, a sore spot for that defense. And uh, so I think the Trojans in the secondary, they're poised to, to really have a big year, I think, um, with that group. So that's the Pac-12. And again, you know, they won't be playing until November 6th. Um, that's really the, the target date at this point for the, the programs. You're going to see six games. Uh, I believe it's going to be five in division along with one out of division opponent and then from there you'll see the the number one from the west take on the number one from the east number two from the west takes on number two from the east on so on uh to go ahead and get them their seven games so it'll be interesting to see exactly how all of that plays out so real quickly before we go ahead and uh call it a podcast just want to take a look at the matchups for this weekend see what we have going on uh south carolina takes on florida South Carolina and that defense, can they slow down uh, Kyle Trask and company? I think the answer there is probably going to be no. Um, Texas taking on TCU, Sam Ellinger, you know, Max Duggan, you know, really want to see if Grant, uh, you know, Grant Wallow, I think, you know, uh, Trevin uh, Merrick has to have a big game there uh, to try to slow down uh, Sam Ellinger. Uh, you know, Pitt taking on NC State. You know, the Pitt Panthers didn't mention Patrick Johnson had uh, three sacks in, in their win there against Louisville. I think that was kind of an upset win, um, if you ask me. Um, let's see. Alabama taking on AM. AM struggled a little bit with Vanderbilt this, uh, this past game. Um, Alabama, they look strong. You know, I think defensively they've got a lot of young guys there. Um, you know, so it's going to be interesting to see you know, if Kellen Monk can get anything going. I think there's just going to be too much firepower offensively, though, for Alabama. A UNC, Sam Howell and company taking on Phil Yurkovic um, and company um, in Boston College. I think you know Phil Yurkovic is, is a guy, he's going to be that sleepy, I'm sorry, that sleeper quarterback, uh, a guy who was a transfer from Notre Dame, um, had a big win there in the first week for, for Boston College. He'll be someone to keep an eye out for. Uh, Oklahoma State going to, to Kansas, uh, taking on the Mad Hatter, uh, Les Miles. And uh, hopefully Chuba Hubbard will have a have a big game in, in that uh, that game to get his uh, his season really going in the right direction. Maybe the game of the of the day is going to be Georgia taking on Auburn. Who's going to be quarterback for for Georgia? Is it going to be Stetson Bennett? Is it going to be J.T. Daniels? Uh, Monty Rice and company. That defense going to have to get after Auburn. Uh, Bo Nix. Uh, Seth Williams, a big mismatch uh, nightmare there. I think in Auburn's first game, he had two plays there in the end zone. Um, you know, really just you know, uh, high pointing the football. He was taking the, the ball away from the defenders, using his big body to his advantage, and then he let them know about it afterwards. You know, he's got a lot of attitude with the way that he plays, and then as long as it doesn't affect you, um, you know, especially you know, 
after the play or off the field, you know, having those distractions, then I'm all for it. You know, if, if you're going to sit there and you've got the play to back it up and you're not getting looped in or suckered into a lot of you know, personal foul penalties, unsportsmanlike penalties like you saw with Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, for a time, especially the, you know, when his battles with Josh Norman, then I'm okay with it. So you know, I want to see what he's going to be able to do there against Georgia, especially with Eric Stokes and, and Tyson Campbell, DJ Daniel. You know, I, it's going to be interesting. I think Auburn ends up winning that game, though, I, I firmly believe. Tulsa, I want to see what Zayvon Collins, if he has uh, a big game there against against UCF, you know, he's going to have a chance to go up against Dylan Gabriel. I think UCF wins, but I think uh, Zayvon Collins is going to have a big game, big number 23 there for the Golden Hurricane. Um, what type of response are we going to have with K.J. Costello going up against Arkansas at home? Um, that's going to be an interesting one. I, again, I mentioned Iowa State against OU. OU fell to number 18 after the loss, and uh, they're going to have to watch out. Brock Purdy's developing some chemistry with his receivers. Uh, defensively, Jaquan Bailey coming off the edge. Uh, you've got Mike Rose there at the middle linebacker, and then Greg Eisworth uh, patrolling the back end. Uh, you know, Spencer Rattler is really going to have to, you know, to hang in the pocket. That offensive line is going to block from a little bit. They're going to have to get more out of that running game. Um, hopefully, you'll, you'll see a, a big step up in play from, from Charleston Rambo as well. Uh, LSU, can they rebound against Vanderbilt? They fell to number 20. Miles Brennan throwing the football. You know, can that defense really rebound as well? Uh, and then Clemson taking on Virginia. Uh, at home, I don't anticipate that to be much of a game. I think Clemson's going to end up running away with that. Um, but the game that I want to see uh, is Clemson against Miami. I think that's going to be the fun game to watch there in ACC play when it's all said and done. I think if there's any team that uh, really looks poised to to take on Clemson, um, I think North Carolina is getting there as well with, with Sam Howell and company. But Miami, man. They're flying around. They're, they look about as good as, as anyone right now in the country. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how things go. I think Florida is going to be another team that's going to be out there challenging for the SEC crown. Um, Big 12, you know, I think Texas, you know, Baylor with Dave Aranda and that defense, I think they're going to be sneaky there. Um, you know, I think Oklahoma State. You know, they finally have a defense. The defense is playing. You know, they've got uh, Amen Agbong-Bamiga uh, making plays in space. They've got Trace Ford, the sophomore, making plays, uh, getting after the quarterback. And then Rodarius Williams on the back end making plays as well. I think those are the teams really, you know, and then obviously Texas with Sam Ellinger. They were able to knock off Texas Tech. Um, who actually played a lot better than I think a lot of people were expecting. Um, so you want to see what te how Texas Tech responds if they uh, you know continue to have a big year, then uh, you know I, I think that game is going to look a lot better um, for Texas. But uh, you know Texas is going to have to really play well, especially you know, with Iowa State, with Kansas State, with OU, um, everyone going down early. There's really no margin for error. So Texas not only has to win, they have to look good in their performances. So I know that they struggled a little bit there against Texas Tech, nearly lost the game. Um, but now going forward, they're really going to have to you know, really ball out if they want any chance at that college football playoff. I think when, it, when it's all said and done, when we're talking about the Pac-12 play, um, you know, I, I think USC is kind of in the driver's seat there on the, on, in the West. Um, and then, I'm sorry, in the south, and then in the north, 
Uh, I think Oregon right now is probably the you know the cream of the crop, although with a lot of the guys that they've lost, you know, opting out, um, you know, that can open the door for Stanford or possibly even Cal. I think you know, uh, uh, Justin Wilcox's team could be that sleeper there in the Pac-12, and then obviously I, I left out the SEC. Uh, who's going to challenge Alabama? I think you know watching Mississippi State and that defense take on Bama, that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. But I think Florida may be the most complete team right now. And I think Florida is going to be the team to watch. Um, you know, and I, I think they have a chance to um, unseat uh, Alabama as the um, the king of the SEC. Um, Auburn, I think Georgia is going to have a say in that as well. You know, I, I think you've got some you know some talented teams there at the top, um, but I think it's going to end up coming down to Florida and Alabama when it's all said and done. So let's go ahead and call this a podcast. I think we've had a lot of fun here. We've got to talk a lot about you know week four. You know, we got to take a look at the matchups here for week five as well and take a look at the Pac-12. Next week, we'll go ahead. Obviously, we're going to be breaking down some of these games from week number five. We're also going to take a look at some of the players in the Mountain West and the MAC. So we'll go ahead. We'll do it all over again next week. And, uh, you know, until then, enjoy your weekend. Stay safe, everyone. Uh, practice your social distancing. And uh, for ReadyForTheDraft.com, this has been the Ready for the Draft podcast. I've been your host, Greg Schutz. Take care, everyone, and I am out of here.